So, uh, you know, if you only ever uh, see me here on Sunday mornings, you might be tempted to think I always go around in dress clothes all the time. Uh, but the truth is, blue jeans and printed t-shirts are my preferred look. Uh, and I wear a ton of t-shirts. So you guys on Wednesday nights have seen them. I've got uh, vintage logo t-shirts and uh, concert event t-shirts and tourist destination t-shirts and lots of Christian t-shirts. But I saw one the other day that, that somebody had on that I don't have. And it's a t-shirt that said, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. <laughs> and and it, made, it made me kind of chuckle. And I, I guess it's maybe you could say it's kind of a, a cute saying, but you know, it's really, really bad theology because the Bible tells us in Acts 10:34 that God is no respecter of persons and, and that his love and his grace and his offer of salvation goes out to the whole world. And not only that, but it is our responsibility as his followers to present it without prejudice or partiality to everyone that we meet. Because, brothers and sisters, the Bibles tell us that Christ is calling a people to himself, a people that he has chosen and that he loves, but he's entrusted that invitation into our hands, into the hands of ordinary men and women like you and me. Uh, and that's a theme that I want you to be listening for as we read our text today. Our, our psalm for today is Psalm 62. Uh, just go ahead and turn there real quickly in your, in your Bibles and we'll share it together. And I'll tell you just parenthetically, John, you don't have this part, but just before we get to the scripture, uh, the text today really renews our theme that we looked at last week on God being our, our high rock of safety, but now it's going to kind of expand on it and show us how despite God's power and his majesty and grandeur and strength, how God our rock wants to have an intimate relationship with all of the people that he's made. So just kind of be thinking about that as we go to the text Psalm 62, that's superscribed to the choir master, a psalm of David. And he writes, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. And remember, Selah means, just means stop and think about what we've read. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my God, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balance, they go up. Together, they're lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, and twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. And you know, just like I was, was telling the boys, you don't have to live very long in this world to find out that 
Playing favorites can hurt feelings and damage relationships, can't they? Whether we're doing it to someone else or we're having it done to us. But it's an easy trap for all of us to fall into as we kind of navigate the world around us and, and the varieties of people that are in it. You know, maybe someone that we encounter is of a different race or from a different social or economic class. Maybe they live in the wrong park. Or heaven forbid they didn't grow up in the Reformed Church tradition right from the cradle. But whatever it is, it's sometimes easy for us to look down on others and somehow think that we're better. But you know, the message of Psalm 62 today really throws all of that out the window with just one little verse. One little verse that David gives us in number 9 when he says, Those of low estate are but a breath, and those of high estate are a delusion. In the balance they go up, and together they're lighter than a breath. That pretty much does away with any pretensions or preconceived ideas we may have about ourselves, doesn't it? Uh, or even about other people. Uh, and that theme is really one that I want to focus on today and kind of just narrow on that one verse because it's consistent all throughout the scriptures, this theme of presenting the love and the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone alike. And for us to live out the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations and of all the people in them. Uh, in fact, it's a theme really that the Apostle Paul drew very heavily on in his ministry, uh, particularly in the book of Romans that we looked at very extensively uh, way back last year and beginning of this year. Uh, but there's one section that he wrote that I think is really poignant. He said, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's a pretty comprehensive plan, isn't it? You know, it's been said that the strongest believers have always been those who have had the strongest passion to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you have a genuine passion for God, you're going to have a passion for his gospel. And you'll have a passion that lost people would be saved regardless of who they are or where they're from. Just like John Knox did, the fiery Scottish reformer who prayed, Lord, give me Scotland or I'll die. Is there anyone here today that would be willing to pray that for our country or for our state? Or even just to say, Lord, give me East Pasco or I'll die. Or how about men like George Whitfield, the, the great evangelist who said, Oh, Lord, give me souls or take my soul. Or men like John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, who said, The whole world is my parish. Or maybe that same passion to share the faith that was the heartbeat of men like David Livingston who left Scotland and went to the interior of Africa as a pioneer missionary and said, Lord, I will go anywhere, I'll go anywhere as long as it's forward. Forward with one passion for our fellow human beings who are lost and who are perishing and who are living under the wrath of God. And our prayer today needs to be that a like passion for the spread of the gospel would consume us even as it consumed the Apostle Paul, as we hear him say to us, I'm under obligation, I'm eager, and I am not ashamed. And notice Paul doesn't say, I, 
I once was all of those things in my spiritual life in the past. Uh, Paul isn't saying, uh, I hope to be under obligation one day in the future. Uh, maybe when I, when I grow up in the Lord or uh, when I'm spiritually mature, uh, he's not saying, uh, I will be once I get through this difficult time in my life. No, Paul is speaking to us today in the present tense as he says, I am right now in my life obligated to spread the good news of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, so are you and I if we're in Jesus Christ. But we have to ask, what exactly does Paul mean by saying I'm under obligation? Uh, and if you look at the text, it's actually a, a financial term. It's, it means to be a, in debt to someone else. Uh, it means that you owe something to someone. It's an accounting term. In fact, uh, for those of you that have your Bible with you, if you're reading along and you have the king james or the new king james version that verse is literally translated i'm a debtor and the idea is that the apostle paul is metaphorically shooting for here is the sense that that something has been entrusted to you and you are responsible and accountable for how you use it uh, now in the one sense that might be surprising to you because we know salvation is a free gift right romans three twenty four says we're justified as a gift and so you have to ask a little bit if, if Paul received this free gift, how does it cause him to feel in a debt that he has to pay back? And what exactly does he mean? But you know, there are two ways that someone can be uh, in debt. One is that you, you go up to someone and you, you have nothing, but you go up and you borrow money from someone. And as long as you have that money in your possession, it's obligatory for you to pay it back, right? To pay back what's been given to you. Now, it's not the sense Paul is shooting at today because we can never pay back to God what he has freely given us in the cross of Jesus Christ, can we? Uh, we, we could never earn our salvation or contribute anything to the free gift of God. But there's another way that you and I can incur a debt. And that's the way that Paul is intending today. And I'll give you just a quick example. I told Dave I was going to pick on him. Uh, two, two Fridays ago when I went to the hospital with Dave and Marge, uh, they weren't sure that they'd feel up to coming to church on Sunday, and so they gave me their tithe envelope to bring to church just in case they didn't come. Uh, and now as long as that envelope was in my possession, and I, I'm, I think it was filled with $100 bills like that, <laughs> as, as long as it was in my possession, right, I, I had a twofold debt, right? I, I was indebted to Dave because he gave it to me to pass on, but I was also indebted to the church it was intended for, Okay. And so you see, as long as it's in my pocket, I've got a twofold accountability. And that's what Paul means in the text today when he says, I'm under obligation or I'm a debtor. Because he's recognizing the incredible and costly sacrifice and great love that Jesus demonstrated toward us that's been entrusted to Paul just like it's been entrusted to you and me. And as long as we're on this earth, we have a primary obligation to God to pass on what he's entrusted to us. But you know what? We have a secondary obligation to everyone without favoritism to share that message for everyone that it's been given. And that's why Paul goes on to tell us uh, in verse 14, he says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the highborn and, and the lowborn, just as David said today. That's like saying from A to Z, right? And, and implies everything in between without exception. His commitment to the Greeks here uh, refers to the cultural elite of the day. It refers to those who are educated uh, and civilized and learned, to the intellectuals who were uh, socially 
refined and, and polished and sophisticated on the one end of the spectrum. And then he says, I'm obligated to barbarians, and that's, that's the absolute antithesis to the uneducated and the unread and the unlettered. And Paul is saying that he is, and, and by extension, we are under obligation both to the upper crust and to the lower crust and to every person in between without distinction. To people, the Bible says, of every tongue and tribe and race and nation on this planet that God providentially brings across your path and across my path. We're under obligation to give them what God has sovereignly deposited within us, namely that one saving gospel accomplished through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And, you know, when you understand the riches that God has entrusted to you, and the grace that's been put into your hands, then you'll understand your obligation to your family and to your friends and to your neighbors and, and your co-workers and on and on because we need to understand that as long as the gospel message stays hidden within you and I, uh, if we are not actually and actively sharing it, we're outside of the will of God. And if that happens, you and I might want to ask ourselves and take seriously what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13 uh, when he uh, admonished us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Uh, because if you are, you won't just feel obligated to share the good news. You won't be able to help yourself. And that's why Paul goes on to tell us today, I am eager to come to you in Rome. And Paul says he's not only obligated, he's more than obligated. He's not only uh, having something he wants to do, but it's something he desires to do, that he wants to do intently. As you know, like, uh, for instance, I'm under obligation to have an annual physical with a blood draw, but I hate that. Right? I'm not eager to do that. Are you any of you guys? Anybody like to have a blood draw? I want to meet you. Right? Uh, I'm under obligation to pay taxes out of my paycheck every two weeks, but it's not something I'm going to cheer about. I'm under obligation to wear a CPAP mask every night for the rest of my life, but I would throw that thing in the trash in a heartbeat. So there are a lot of things I'm under obligation to do, but not necessarily eager to do them. But what Paul is saying today is, for my part, I'm eager and I'm ready to go. And again, he's not saying I once was when I was first saved or back when I was excited for the Lord and everything seemed new. He's saying right now I'm eager and I'm passionate, and I'm excited to share all that a relationship with Jesus Christ means to me. Uh, folks, he's fired up. And, and I, really, I really want you to think about this, and I really want you to hear this. And the reason he's so fired up is because, brothers and sisters, uh, if you don't hear anything else that I say today, uh, the reason that Paul is so fired up is because the greatest thing in all the world is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior as your exalted king and your intimate friend, as your creator and your comforter. But now, hear this second one. The second greatest thing in all the world is to share that relationship with someone else. In his uh, commentary on this passage, Dr. R.C. Sproul writes in these verses, Paul reaches down into his soul to speak of his passion for Christ, and he's saying, every fiber of my being is ready to preach the gospel to you. And that same fervency should be the heartbeat of every believer. And so we, we need to ask ourselves, am I eager to share Christ with other people? With all kinds of other people. Am I truly passionate for him? And can we say in the words of Jeremiah 20 verse 9, if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire 
It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out from trying to hold it in. I can't do it. I can't help myself. And don't forget where Paul was going when he wrote this letter, right? He's headed for Rome. Dr. Stephen Lawson uh, wrote of this. He said, the city of Rome in the Apostle Paul's day was not exactly the buckle of the Bible belt. Because remember, Rome wasn't an easy place to reach with the gospel. Rome was pagan. Rome was worldly. Rome is where Caesar was worshipped as a living God. Rome is where lion stomachs were filled with the flesh of martyrs. Rome is where believers were burnt like torches to light the evening garden parties of Nero. And yet Paul says, I'm eager to go. And we look at that verse and you scratch your head and say, why? Paul, why would you be eager to go there? But it was because he understood that to reach Rome would be to reach the empire. To reach Rome would be to strike a blow for the kingdom of Christ right in the heart of darkness. To reach Rome with the gospel would send a ripple effect across the world's people from princes all the way down to peasants. Because if it could be reached, then anywhere can be reached. But let me ask you today, brothers and sisters, where is your Rome? Where's the hardest place for you to go with God's message? Who are the hardest people for you to talk to about the Lord? Who's the hardest person you can think of to share Christ with? Is it a spouse, a family member, or a friend? And, and then think about if that person could be saved, if, if God would bring that person to faith in Christ, the ripple effect it would have in their family and through their circle of influence. And so we've got to be like Paul and look beyond the obstacles and beyond the lions and beyond the excuses and beyond the difficulties so that the gospel can bring people converted to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's how you and I need to look at the world around us. We need to look past the challenges and past the difficulties and past the doors that get closed in our faces and past the people that walk away from us and we need to remind ourselves that we've been commanded by Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. Not because God needs our help to do it, but because he gives us the awesome privilege to carry his will out into the world. Do you know, brothers and sisters, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that there are people whom God has chosen before the foundation of the world who he will save by his sovereign grace. But he's also established the ordinary means to carry that out. And those ordinary means of his grace are his word and his sacraments and our testimony of all that God has done for you and me personally. If we'll just speak the message of the gospel. Because remember, it's God that's promised he'll be the one that'll open people's eyes and he'll open people's ears and he'll open people's hearts no matter how closed they may have been. And that's the great confidence we have in telling others about Jesus. Because brothers and sisters, every time you share the good news of the gospel, your testimony is 100% successful. Does that surprise you? 100% successful, and I'll tell you why. Because God the Holy Spirit will either use your testimony to change a life or he'll use it to silence those who may say at the judgment I never knew. Nobody ever told me about Jesus. Well, that's not fair. And you know, that's the confidence that should make us eager to share the good news knowing that it's God who goes before us and that God is the one that prepares hearts to receive him and not our personal skill or persuasiveness. And it was because of that confidence that Paul could say today, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to mention the name of Christ. 
I'm not ashamed to speak of my Jesus loud and clear in the public arena. And he could do that because he understood that whoever rejected his message wasn't rejecting him, they were rejecting God. They were rejecting Christ. Paul was just a messenger, just like we are. And so he says, I'm not ashamed to proclaim the gospel in the marketplace of ideas. He says, I'm ready to put the gospel up against any other world religion, against the vain philosophies of this world, against the bankrupt ideologies and false worldviews in the academy. Because, brothers and sisters, Paul knew that ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And I'll just explain to you just real briefly what I mean in my last illustration here. Uh, especially for those who may be listening online that still have young children to raise or those of you here that have grandchildren that are still in school. You know, we send our kids out for hundreds of hours of education every year uh, to be taught that life is accidental. To be taught that our humanity can be boiled down to mere chemical reactions and physical laws and to be fed the lie that each individual person can speak their own truth. We send them through this whole indoctrination process, and then when they go uh, and grow up and live out the logical extension of all of those ideas by committing crimes, we put them in jail. Did you ever think about that? You know, we tell our kids in school that life has no meaning or value on an evolutionary scale, but then we're surprised when a young person can take another person's life on a whim. Or we teach survival of the fittest, but then we're stunned when people lie and cheat and steal their way to the top ladder of success. We say that everyone has their own version of the truth, but if truth by its very definition is exclusive, how will these kids ever grow up knowing what to believe ethically? And we wonder why the world is as messed up as it is. And so where in the world does that leave us? Well, by God's grace, I still think, in spite of all those things, we're still left with a lot of hope. If, if we, like the Apostle Paul, will come to a place where we are not nervous or shy or the least bit ashamed about not just believing the truth of God's word, but sharing it with other people because we know it to be true. Because we've experienced its power. And with Paul, we can say, I'm living proof because the gospel saved me. So I'll bring it up and talk it up with anyone anywhere, anytime, because if you look at my life, you won't ever again think that someone is beyond the power of the gospel to save, right? You'll never think someone is beyond hope because Paul says, uh, he's basically saying, look at me, I'm the poster child for that. Uh, I'm exhibit A. Do you remember when we first encountered Paul, he's on the road to Damascus uh, to discredit the followers of Jesus, heading out not just to debate Christians uh, as to the merits of their faith, but with warrants for their arrest with letters in hand to bring them back to Jerusalem to be beaten and imprisoned and probably killed. But then how on that Damascus road, God had another plan for him, didn't he? And what did he do? Uh, he didn't plan to, to coax him or persuade him or to win Paul over with convincing arguments or impress him with snappy entertainment or polished church programs. He didn't have any of that in mind. No, he quite literally knocked Paul off his high horse by the power of his irresistible grace. And in that very moment, Paul was born again. In that moment, Paul was recreated and regenerated. And all he could do was say, what would you have me do, Lord? What would you have me do? And Jesus said, arise and go into the city. And you know, you and I are 
being sent back out now, some of us to the city and some to the country, some to our secular work or others to the pastimes of retirement, but wherever we go, whomever we meet, whatever our circumstances, let us today carry the message of Christ's death and burial and glorious resurrection to the Rome of our time and to all the people in it with, with a sense of divine obligation to everyone we meet, whether they're high-born or low-born or in between, and with a heart full of joyful eagerness and with a passion so the world will know that you and I are not ashamed of the gospel because, brothers and sisters, it's the power of God for salvation for everyone. Amen? Let's pray.